good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for March 26, 2017. Koyo Kubose here. So very glad to join us um, this weekend. I'm reminded of how much we could learn from young children because uh, we have house guests and one of them is a eight-year-old girl, Brooke. In fact, she's our uh, instant grandchild <laughs> for Adrian and I. Our son, uh, second son, is getting is engaged to be married this year, and uh, it's the second marriage for both. And his fiance has a eight-year-old daughter, so Asian and I became instant grandparents, and it's been great. But they're visiting this weekend and from San Jose, which is about um, three hours' drive north of us. And uh, um, the, of course, the energy level and the, the freshness, the, <laughs> the liveliness in our house, in our house is uh, very different from what we're used to, and um, uh, uh, I was, I'm, I'm amazed that, you know, I, for, I have forgotten how precocious young brains are too, and I don't know if I'm being outmoded from an older generation, but. Um, uh, I would. Um, <clears throat> I was impressed when um, I was on the computer looking at some well, toy banks. You know where you put a little coin in a something and then it can feed it into into the chamber. And I had a few um, products on the screen and just to interact. I said, "Hey, Brooke." Look at these toy banks. Which one should I get? And she was all business. She came over and she said, <laughs> she said right away, she said, well, compare the features and you know, don't forget the price and check the shipping. I said, holy cow, I said to myself, you know, she knows how to shop. And... uh it's, you know, I was trying to think of some other examples of, uh, of uh, precociousness and cognitive process. But I was most impressed with, of course, young children, the creativity uh, when they play, their enthusiasm when they uh, work, because she helped me in the garden, play with well, we were going to feed the dogs. We have uh, two dogs, and we were in the, in the backyard, and and I had a bag of uh, very small dog treats, and so we were feeding the dogs, throwing it, and then and pretty soon we threw them into the grass, and dogs would start searching, and then we'd um, throw them up, or we'd do a little starburst where you throw a little handful of them up, 
then you'd bounce them off one of the boulder rocks and then start hiding them. And then she'd make a little treasure trough, you know, hidden pot of gold-like. She said, let's see if they go find this one. Whoever finds it will be the luckiest one. And she started making up a yell, and she was yelling something like, Hung uh, Jow! And throwing them. And she, and she was just cackling away. And so I had to throw them and say, Hung Jow! And she just loved this activity. And when we went into the garden, she helped me plant some tomato plants. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, she had never... She had never planted anything in that garden. I mean, you know, everything's new and fresh. She says, oh, I'm getting my hands all dirty. And I, you know, said, yeah, it's nice to feel dirt, isn't it? And, uh, oh, so she got into it. I think one of the worst things that society and societal conditioning does to young children is they start to be to we teach them it teaches them the wow we okay I want to introduce today's guest to give us a Dharma glimpse Dave Joyo lives in Madison Wisconsin he was part of our LM4 group and let's hear from Dave Joyo this morning. Good morning and, and thank you. My Dharma glimpse is titled Friendship as Men Get Older and I Wish You Enough. I want to start, I was listening to NPR's program On Point and they were interviewing the Boston Globe writer Billy Baker and a Dr. Richard Swartz. Billy Baker, wrote, he wrote an article on men and friendships. And as he pointed out in the Boston Globe magazine, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. And Dr. Schwartz is a practicing psychiatrist who teaches psychiatry at the McLean Hospital and Harvard Medical School. He co-authored a book with Jacqueline Olds. The book is called The Lonely American, and it's about men and friendships. And by middle-aged, many have too little of it, and it is a threat to men's health. And basically, to summarize this interview, by middle-aged, many men have too little friendships, and it's a threat to their health. And men can be, they're, they're funny about friendship. They have friends, buddies from high school, college, or later. But by middle-aged, if you really look at those friendships, a lot of them have, are sort of on the shelf. Work and family, they take a lot of time. And guys can drift into a wider social isolation. And that can have health consequences down the line. The U.S. Surgeon General says isolation is a bigger American health problem than cancer or heart disease. So what's up with men and friends? Well, Dr. Schwartz says that beginning in the 1980s, study after study started showing that those who were more socially isolated were much more likely to die during a given period of time than their socially connected neighbors. Even after you correct for age, gender, lifestyle choices like exercise and eating right, loneliness has been linked to an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke, 
and even the progression of Alzheimer's. One study found that it can be as much of a long-term risk factor as smoking. So this, this radio program certainly got me thinking. Then I came upon a poem by Bob Perks. This poem is called, I Wish You Enough. I would like to read this to you. I wish you enough. I wish you enough sun to keep your attitude bright no matter how gray the day may appear. I wish you enough rain to appreciate the sun even more. I wish you enough happiness to keep your spirit alive and everlasting. I wish you enough pain so that even the smallest joys in life may appear bigger. My wish you enough gain to satisfy your wanting. I wish you enough loss to appreciate all you possess. I wish you enough hellos to get you through the final goodbye. And like I would like to add to the end of this poem, I wish you enough contact with your friends to keep you happy and healthy. My Dharma glimpse is I need to get out of my comfort zone and reach out to my friends. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. That is very thought-provoking Dharma glimpse on several levels. It really stood out for me when the poem uh, includes wishing someone enough pain or other unpleasant things so that you would appreciate the opposite. And that is so true. I remember in articles that my father wrote in in his books where... The, the title might be something like um, Black is White, where black stands for um, dark, unfortunate events. And I remember in the article he, said, he would say things like, when I say this, some people say, what do you mean black is white? Uh, black is black and white is white. Bad things are bad things and good things are good things. But bad things over time and circumstances change, become good things. In the same vein, the teaching is um, in the spiritual world, misfortune is fortune. And that article, I I recall, says exactly what the point was in those lines in the poem. Well, when you get sick, then you really appreciate your health. You started to take it for granted. Human nature is such that you just can't help taking something for granted. So this, I think, uh, relates to what I would call a a widening perspective, you know, um, you, whatever you want to call it, you know, the, the, the context or, um, but it's wisdom that says, uh, don't get 
caught up and uh, uh, by the closeness immediacy of a particular situation and let it color and then you overgeneralize good or bad if you can step back and have at the same time in the middle of pain or or suffering and, and or in the middle of joyous moments in the back of the mind or in, or in a, a layer or a certain wider perspective it's on a you know there's a wider stage and I think this is part of um, well maturity uh, some of us never grow up you know at least if we could recognize that we have to try to keep a larger perspective a philosophical perspective if you will where oh yeah you're having this difficulty now but and you can't do much about it. Of course, we're talking about problems where it's not easy. (laughs) Because if it was easy, a lot of things, we take care of it. Some things we cannot control that well, and it's part of life. But uh, it will pass. Things change. Good things don't last, and bad things don't last either. Um... Takan, that's a, a word in Japanese. Takan. And it means wide perspective or broad perspective. And I remember working with this word. Some um, A Japanese person was trying or was translating this, and it was in one of, in a book that my, um, in the early years of our temple, my father, in, his, in their monthly bulletin, he would write a, an article in English and then also an article in Japanese because there was still Japanese-speaking people in the congregation in those early years. And and uh, uh, after so many decades had gone by, some... Um, they had they published a book of a collection of his English articles, and they also collected and published a um, collection of his articles in Japanese. And so, a Japanese lady uh, was translating those Japanese articles into English, and she was consulting with me about this word takan. And uh, I, I don't know Japanese that well, so I. Uh, asked uh, Japanese-speaking colleagues and got some information and then got back to her and we were talking about it. She says, oh, yeah. And the Chinese characters that uh, comprise that word, Takan, one of the characters is the char- part of the character for Satori, which is, you know, enlightenment. Yeah, Takan is the gateway to Satori was one of the comments she made. And I always remember that. And uh, Takkan, it's uh, being able to have that kind of a wider perspective in the midst of day-to-day goings-on. This, I think, is um, 
well, you could extend it to what wisdom is, part of what wisdom is, part of what right understanding is, which is, you know, the first of the Eightfold Noble Path, right understanding. Uh, um, and, we, and we might think that enlightenment or satori is something uh, fantastic, sort of. Uh, but it's being able to have that flexi- mental flexibility. You're not locked into a certain narrow context. Hey, that, uh, I appreciate myself talking to myself. You know that? <laughs> when some association happens and I think about this event in this where we're translating things and uh, I hear myself talk, sort of, oh, yeah, good. that's a good uh, uh, expression or way of expressing something. And, uh, hey, I just taught myself something. I better listen. I better listen. <laughs> and, that re- and that thought itself just reminded me of, an, of a story in the Buddhist literature about a Buddhist teacher who, uh, it was said that he called himself every morning by name. So maybe the equivalent would be this was he got known for this. This was his practice, spiritual practice. Get up and start his day by calling to himself. Are you here? Are you awake? You know. You better appreciate this day. Every day is a new day. You better appreciate this day. You better not take life for granted. Hey, are you aware? (laughs) You know? And I think we all need to have some kind of personal, it doesn't have to be uh, necessarily idiosyncratic or individualized or, 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 or private, but you know, something that's really personally relevant to have deep impact into one's spiritual challenging and growth of oneself. Sometimes I used to tell the students, uh, or when I give a certain talk in a certain topic, I'd say, you have an inner teacher, and that inner teacher should always be challenging you saying, show me your Buddhism. Maybe in the old days, back in the day, there was a, you know, when the, especially in the East, where the vertical teacher-student relationship was very strong, part of the culture. Okay? And it would be an actual teacher that would be saying, you know, always challenging his student, saying, hey, show me right now. Show me your Dharma right now. Gee, what are you going to do? But we could, that, that still, that process still holds right now, and it could be your inner teacher that says challenges you. And you should, we, every person should be, you know, every sincere truth seeker should be able to express their Buddhism at the spur of the moment. And you know why it's difficult to do that? 
because the brain, the left brain says, oh, I better have a fantastic deep teaching. Do I have one that's good enough that will be respected, you know, and, and impressive? All that judgmental stuff comes in and it gets overly conceptualized and it's not your deep personal teaching anymore. Okay? We we have a lot of potential sitting around in our subconscious, I guess you, you might call it. And unless you raise it up, shine a light on it and say, hey, how about this one? How about that one? Hey, hey can I really grab this one? And it doesn't have to be the life teaching for all time and all situations. Well, we're talking of that particular moment. Okay. What is it? What is it? Okay. Without saying, well, is it good enough or or is it universal enough? Okay. Does it qualify? Put it through those intellectual filters in our own mind. Got to get rid of that and 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 say, yeah, this is my Buddhism. Okay. And if you challenge yourself next year, next month, next week, maybe a different answer. Okay. Because the context is different. Uh, well, show me your Buddhism. <laughs> That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, hey, keep going.